Little Philip was in a third grade Sunday school class, and he was different from the other students in that he had Down syndrome. And the Sunday after Easter, the teacher gave each student a large plastic egg, empty, and she gave them an assignment to go outside and to find something that symbolized Easter and put it in the egg and bring it back. So the children went out for about 20 minutes, and then they returned, and each child opened their egg to show what they had found. And one opened an egg, and there was a flower, another a leaf. Uh, one even managed to get a butterfly in the egg. And as each egg was opened, the children would ooh and ah. And then it came, came Philip's turn to open the egg, and he opened it, and it was empty. And the children began to laugh at him. And one kid even said, Philip, you never do anything right. But he insisted, I did do it right. The tomb was empty. And the class was silent. And from that day on, he became a member of the class. And indeed, Philip was the best biblical scholar in that class of third graders. The tomb was empty. The first evidence of the resurrection is not an appearance of Christ. But in fact, it is the empty tomb. So early that morning, some women followers of Jesus, women who had loved Jesus, who had been devastated to see him crucified, went to do the only thing they thought they could do to show their love and to remember him. And that was to go to anoint his body, his dead body, at the tomb, which was part of a Jewish burial custom, which couldn't be completed because Jesus was executed on the eve of, Pas on the eve of Passover and the Sabbath. So, so they go there and they find the stones rolled away and the tomb is empty. And while they're puzzling over the empty tomb, angels appear to them. And they ask, why do you see the living one among the dead? That is a good question. Why do we so often search for life, seek life in places that are dead? As an undergraduate at Georgetown, there were many bars that were popular with students. One of them was just a couple blocks away, and it was called the Tombs. And the reason it was called the Tombs is because you walk in, you have to go down. The whole bar was underground, so you had to sort of descend. Actually, the food was pretty good. The chicken wings were the best chicken wings I've ever had, before or since. Nothing compares to their chicken wings. Anyways. And it's, it's fine enough to have some you know, food, enjoy a drink, but oftentimes, you know, after students had been drinking there for hours after midnight, it became a less than wholesome place. The tombs, indeed. What are the tombs that we frequent, that people frequent thinking they will find life? Sometimes it's different kinds of addictions, to drugs, to alcohol, to technology. The tombs can be a striving for success and recognition, a consuming more of what we need least. The tombs can be places inside ourselves where we nurture grudges. It can be places on the internet where the human person is reduced to an object of lust. It could be the ways we tear down others in order to make ourselves feel better. These are markers of a graveyard that we know all too well. Jesus explained his mission in these words. He says, I came that they might have life and have it in abundance. Jesus said, I am the life. 
and indeed in himself true and eternal life. And his resurrection is the triumph of life over death in its many forms. And when we become one with him, the living one, in faith, hope, and love, we have that life in us. And so where should we seek the living one? He is found in prayerful reading of the scriptures and the study of the faith. He's found in the sacraments and friendship we share with fellow believers. He is found in service, in works of mercy, and he is found whenever the good news is proclaimed. Now, let this happen early in the morning, right? The women finding the tomb. Later that day, Luke gives us an account of one of Jesus' appearances. And it's to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's my favorite resurrection appearance of Jesus. So these are disciples. They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven-mile walk. And they are very sad and a little bit confused because they're sad because they were hoping Jesus was the Messiah, the king who would overthrow the Romans. And here he was, brutally killed, crashing all of their hopes. But also, too, that women have told them that they saw the empty tomb and they had spoken to angels. And so... They were just also confused. And as they're walking, this guy shows up. They don't recognize him, but it's Jesus. And I love it because he says, uh, what are you guys talking about? And I said, I said, are you the only person who doesn't know what happened? He's like, no, tell me what happened. <laughs> so anyways, so they tell him, they pour out their hearts. And then for however long that took, three hours, Jesus begins to open up for them the scriptures. He goes through all the Old Testament. He explains why what happened to him happened how it was foretold by the prophets. And later they would remember, our hearts were burning with us, but they still didn't recognize him. So then they get to where they're going, Emmaus, and they, that's their destination. He seems that he's going to go on. They say, please stay with us, have supper with us. Okay, then when they sit down to have supper, he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. Those four verbs Luke and the other evangelists use later with, I mean, earlier with Jesus and bread at the Last Supper, and also in the multiplication of the loaves. What is Jesus saying? He was saying something through what he did that was meant for Christians of every age to know. He was saying, now that I'm risen, okay, this is where you're going to find me. In that place, in that action where the scriptures are open and the bread is broken, which is what? The Mass. What we're doing now. He's saying, you will find me in the mass. This is where we seek the living one. For a couple years in our parish, we've had something called discipleship groups. This is a time-intensive formation in the faith. It is a formation in what I've called the eight habits of a missionary disciple. It involves very generous mentors who themselves are formed, and then they spend time with three, four people for four or five months, forming them in these habits of discipleship. And I continue to get feedback on what a positive experience it has been for people. In fact, it has been transformative for many of them. I just, uh, some groups just finished up that had started um, in November, and I just asked the leaders to give me a little update and and they all were very positive on what had just happened and how their groups went. One said that it was such a great experience and we all grew so much together. Another uh, said it was, a, it was a teary-eyed, Holy Spirit-filled last day, speaking of her last meeting with them, full of the love for Christ, 
his church and humanity. We were the burning bush. I don't need to see the risen, glorified body of Jesus with my own eyes to know that he is risen. I only need to pay attention to what God is doing among you. And I know it to be true. In the gospel, the women left the tomb to share the good news with others. It's really important. They are the first evangelists before the men that had been with Jesus. The women are the ones to announce the good news of the risen Lord. And I want you to see yourself in them. Because this parish is flourishing in so many ways. And if I have to give you a B minus or C plus, C minus even, it's on evangelization. It's on bringing the news of Christ, the risen Lord, to people who don't know him yet. And I honestly think it was hard during COVID. It was hard to invite anyone to anything because people were afraid. Uh, But hopefully that's past us. And so that's something I want you to really think on. It's seeing yourself and those women who went to announce that Jesus was raised. And even in times without a pandemic, I know it can be discouraging. You know, it's not that anyone's going to kill you for telling them about Jesus, but they might think you're weird. uh, And they might just be indifferent, which honestly can be hard when you care about something and someone else doesn't care about it. But remember, those women, they didn't get a first good reaction either, did they? What what does Luke tell us? He says, their story seemed like nonsense. (laughs) That's a natural first reaction for those who dwell among the dead. They regard it as the way things are. But we know that's not true. And so we must keep praying for them. We must keep showing them. And we must keep telling them, like Philip did, that the tomb is empty and Jesus is risen.